another episode of Two Tins Talking Trash, where two tins we're going to talk trash. Today we're going to talk about the Sloppy Steve. <laughs> yeah, we had the Bannon Sloppy Steve, Sloppy, sloppy Steve, Steve. Bannon Sloppy Steve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you know, we're getting there with our Trump impressions. We've got to kind of, you know, so work good. on it in concert, you know, like get that shit mm. on point. Friend of the show, Steve Bannon. We're going to be talking about the 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 massive sloppy Steve Swamp Monster. Yeah, uh, you know we're going to be talking about the history and uh, kind of kind of what he's done before the Trump administration and then after once he once he got fired or quit. We don't know yet. Anywho, Sloppy Steve was born sloppy. <laughs> <laughs> The kids called him sloppy in elementary school. No, that'd, that'd be that'd be great though. Somebody connected the two, anyways. So he was kind of born to a to a middle class family, uh, Dixiecrats, all American, all American, all American Dixiecrats. You know, from the good old state of Virginia. Yeah, just remember, Dixiecrats are different to the Democrats of today. Like they weren't necessarily like our friend or your friend progressive folk just bear that in mind no absolutely very yeah. different brand. southern strategy <laughs> uh-huh uh-huh which only means one thing he was very very all-american <coughs> white yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> so you know and he ended up going he has a pretty interesting education background if you look into it he has like a mba from harvard Nice. Uh, he w- he served in the navy. He just like he he was on a ship that went to the Persian Gulf. Oh wait, yeah, during the Iran hostage crisis, that whole ordeal. Uh, but he ain't getting no combat. He ain't he really getting a no, static. No, 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 of course not. He, I mean, despite for somebody who seems as bloodthirsty and as war loving as he is, yes. When has he has you know, which yeah. is you know the, the typical picture a lot of the time with these dudes mm-hmm. when you and think he about is, it. He is one of these like warlords or uh, gods of war, I suppose you would call them. That are just like so bloodthirsty and so like down for global destruction through conflict type of thing. Yeah. Uh, he has that. He has that idea that um, politics is war is one of his mantras. Uh, that, that he used when he when he got into politics. Er, earlier on, he uh, so after the military, he went into investment banking for Goldman Sachs. Yep, moved up the ranks. Harvard uh, elite worked with Goldman Sachs, dissing the other Harvard elites as you do. You know, it's the only way. Mm-hmm. Making money for for your rich friends. It turned out good for him. He uh, started a boutique investment firm. Uh, invested in in really random stuff. He got like a well, not random, but s- some of the l- things unexpected. That, yeah, yeah. yeah th- there was some like unexpected things on the list. One of them being that they have a uh, the company has a stake in uh, Seinfeld episodes. Of course, yeah, that's the one that we Seinfeld. always hear about. No, yeah, that's a, that's like one of the pretty pretty common oddball stories about Steve yeah. Bannon is like, oh, he. Has a stake in Seinfeld. Huh. Yeah. What a weirdo. 
Yeah, you have like people, yeah, people such as Bannon and Trump who like the who like to point the finger at Hollywood elites and you know pick them apart along with their supporters, not oh, realizing true. that Trump and Bannon to some degree or another are part of the Hollywood elite themselves yeah. or would like to be. You know, they kind of tried, mm. they arguably tried, mm-hmm. but never really kind of got in or blended. Trump would bitch about when he didn't win an Emmy, <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, just you know, just bear that in mind when you do think about these guys, and the next time you want to like you know throw dirt in the direction of Hollywood. Oh, and and Bannon was definitely so after all all of this and this investment stuff, he tried getting into Hollywood through documentaries. Uh, later on, he found success like uh, getting the dish out on the Clintons on the Clinton Foundation and okay. uh, during the 2016 elections but even even earlier than that it was just like anti-democrat you know like ex- exposés and stuff he did one um on Sarah Palin yeah yeah I think that kind when, of put him on the map initially uh-huh. when it came to filmmaking and politics oh of course you know like that th- he's some like uh yeah yeah this this political giant who can yeah. who can expose the world to to people like Sarah Palin and you know he's the he's the man behind the curtain is what people people got the opinion of that he might be like the puppeteer the puppeteer <laughs> or that like he could be an influencer I think is the more more um, conservative way of putting it is that he would be a, a progress uh, uh, influencer for politics at least on the right and he was really doing that uh at the time like he was working at at Breitbart which was having trouble financially uh it was yeah right before right before Obama so you know it was having some financial difficulties and it was just like losing viewers uh, but then Robert Mercer, a uh, crazy hedge fund millionaire who also supported Trump, I think. like nobody knows how yeah. rich he is. So he's probably like a quadrillionaire and nobody would actually know. Uh, so he, he invested a lot of money in Breitbart. Um, it it, it kind of like got friendly with Bannon, kind of kind of just to to voice uh, to voice. Mercer's ideas like he would be the mouthpiece to this shadowy billionaire trillionaire whoever <laughs> he, uh, so it also at this time was the birth of the Tea Party which was an astroturf movement funded by a lot of these billionaire types to perpetuate these economic policies you know uh, tax cuts for the rich and then like they would talk about some random social issue that would get the masses wild up like gun control they would yeah. just be like the liberals are coming for your guns so we need to cut taxes for the rich yeah. so like it's <laughs> you know in essence it almost seems like for a large part of his life he's been dedicating his life to you know pro- to acting and working as a proponent for his particular like set of ideals and beliefs and then you know once Obama came along it arguably like you know helped act as the catalyst for you know not necessarily immediately then but eventually what would become the movement that you know he termed as the alt-right wouldn't mm-hmm. you say 
Right. So I kind of I kind of missed this on the timeline when we were talking about Sarah Palin's documentary, but that was during the 2008 election when Sarah Palin was the vice presidential nominee. Uh, and she was kind of like this, this. Remember that. Just, just, just <laughs> listen to that again. The lady who, like, you know, made who's on some bloody reality show right now has like her daughter's a baby mama. Like, oh my gosh, that family. You know, she's just... like, she's, you know, she, she, she tried to pull up on a couple guys. I swear, she's, she's like gotten in a few altercations and she's in beef deep oh with a couple God. people, like her ex husband and shit. This was at one point the person <laughs> who was considered as the vice presidential nominee nominee for the Republican Party. Bear that in mind. She was more shows than you that, where though. we are. Like she, she was she was more than a vice presidential candidate. She was supposed to be like the representative of real America. Soccer like, moms who wear lipstick. She was she was the essentially the mother of the Tea Party movement, or just yeah, like very true. this kind of. I, I wouldn't even call the general movement the Tea Party movement. It, Bannon just refers to yeah. it as the movement. Yeah. Um, kind of more like a bowel movement. But. <laughs> <laughs> and it's crazy because you think of it, like you look back at those times and at one point, this same lady, you know, was was fixing to be president. Absolutely. Like, real right. talk. Like, you know, I, I, I thought about it myself in terms of come 2012 Republican elections she's going to take the nomination. Like, she even, like, you know, put out, like, an autobiography. She was there canvassing for the Tea Party. Like, all of the steps were in place Mm -hmm. for her to go Mm -hmm. and run for that. And it was almost like maybe that was, you know, for Steve Bannon, maybe Sarah Palin was, like, the prototype for then what came to be Trump. Right, no, exactly. Like, she was kind of of the testing grounds because she had never supported... A candidate like that on such a huge scale you know he went all out with the with the documentary and a lot of like the breitbart articles backed it up uh so the funding issues as well were before this so yep. uh you know it, a lot of people who worked at breitbart at the time said that it became a lot more fringe during that time yeah. when mercer money started becoming infused in it yeah uh so anyway with the with the palin with the palin campaign you know he he really saw this type of candidate that he could use for his movement uh you know this like populist charismatic person honestly though um he lost all hope in her well i guess she for good reason yeah she killed the hope man she just um she got herself in the shit like as much as so many scandals don't like trump as much as we don't think that he's articulate, he's at yeah. least functioning to some level. Yeah. He's so full of shit that it's just so easy yeah. for him to spew it out. But with Palin, you could tell that she just like didn't know what she was talking about. Nope, no. It's like that Katie, Katie Couric thing. Yeah. Like, so what newspapers do you read? Just all of them. All, all, all of them. All, all of them. them. Just yeah. <laughs> and, and of course, the different scandals, the reality oh. TV show. Like, if you actually look at her, like, dirt sheet, her track record, damn it, man. That's she's not, family. you know, it's, it's difficult to actually think that this person was once a politician, like the governor of Alaska oh. at that, you know? So that, I think, no, definitely okay. just... 
like you did a lot to kill her legitimacy. Huh. Oh no, man! You she was the Alaskan governor. I don't know. She like, was heavy deep in some shit, man. Like she was like different altercations and beef and fights, like uh-huh, uh-huh. like almost street level, like almost <laughs> thuggery, 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 as I like to call it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, her her like her family, like they just got into like serious. It's just like trailer park problems that yeah that people would go on jerry spring about her son-in-law gets arrested for domestic violence once a year yeah <laughs> no, this is this is this is that crap this is that duck dynasty sons of anarchy like half baking bad shit right there like the drama drama about her just like white trash oh no it was that it was that like white boy drama you know uh, <laughs> i mean like, it's, it's, like I, I don't know like i'd say that like, i said like duck dynasty slash okay oh, yeah, maybe yeah, not yeah. not not so much sons of anarchy that's some yeah, hardcore yeah. That's, that's drama everywhere you don't want to be knee deep in some that like, shit but like oh, some gang shit but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe some like duck dynasty shit you know or at least they're yeah. like they're no, the duck yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody's not worshipping God four times a day or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, talking about these different things, like, um, you know, we think of Steve Bannon, and, yeah, he seems to be somebody, you speak to him, and you can say a lot of things about him, but one thing you can't say is that he's not in tune with his base and what is going on and what is in their heads. This is something that... He has his 10,000 hours in. This shit, he is in touch with it, is intuitive to him. And he he is a man on a mission. And I think that mission is, you know, in his words to, I don't know, save the West or bring it back. Yes, yeah. So his big thing is like uh, the West is heading into a like final battle uh, that, that'll decide the future of humanity with Islam. And we'll yeah. get into a we'll get into more about Islam later, but you can kind of see this guy's psyche about how he's thinking in this like nefarious type of way. Yeah. Uh, that's deeply rooted in his ideology and his base, like his base 100% supports it. They yeah. might like have not ari- uh, arrived at that same conclusion, but when they heard it, they were just like, yes, that's yeah. right. We're doing that. And the best way to solve it is to give tax cuts to the rich <laughs> <laughs> and that's the only way that we'll fight Islam <laughs> and yeah you know you first saw it in America where you know Obama Obama and Democrats the Democratic Party came up and found themselves in power and then it was the situation of oh you know America is at the threat of um, socialism entitlements uh, femini- feminism oh, of uh, course. you know uh, homosexuality you know the permissiveness of society you know it's mm. kind of going back to like that kind of like nixonian sort of conservatism but you know it's like just sort of like you all know wrapped up a bit you know and mm. yeah all these different like boogeyman and like he along with his media platform in Breitbart helped to kind of propel that onto a national national stage oh, yeah. and you know do his own bit to help make Trump that bit more palatable and accepting to the masses. Oh, and yeah. then lo and behold, we are at the point we are now where some people say, you know, it's arguably like mission accomplished for him in terms of he has, you know, someone such as Trump in power who is, you know, instituted what is a de facto Muslim ban. Um, 
is clamping down hard, not only on illegal immigration, but legal immigration. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The Chinese threat. Yeah, there's the Chinese threat. There's that also. Mm -hmm. And these are all different things that if you look at Bannon's track record, he's been talking on for the longest of times and how things need to be done. And now they're being done. So that's how, like, it's like first step check, arguably. I don't uh, know. Oh, yeah. And he saw, he saw Trump as like this vessel for all of these ideas. Uh, Trump yeah. was kind of all about that, even even when he was making his first presidential run in the 80s, was talking about immigrants, mm. you know, but he, he really didn't know about all of these other complex global issues that he could weaponize. That was kind of just put into his head by people like Stephen Miller and, of course, Steve Bannon. Yeah. Steve's. <laughs> <laughs> What's up with Steve's douchey white guy's name? Steve. What's up with that? The sloppy and snaky Steves. That's why I see them. Sloppy Steve Bannon, snaky Stephen Miller. Swampy. Yeah, definitely. They got a swampy. Yeah. Swampy. Like, Things it to that man. Fucking looks like Ooh. a prop out of the Dracula film. <laughs> that motherfucker looks like Dracula. Miller. He got about. the hairline too. Yeah, definitely, man. That guy. I don't know. He. He probably, if he's married, it's through an arranged marriage, that dude. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Through a curse. <laughs> through a family curse. <laughs> so, like, yeah, Stephen Miller is still in there, obviously. He's yeah. doing this, like, weird anti-Chinese crap nowadays. Anti-Chinese, anti-Hispanic. Anti- you hear that story yep. about how, when he was a kid, he told... Oh, he uh, told friend of his that I can't be friends with you because you're Mexican or yeah, something exactly. ridiculous you know, like that. And, and this is Trump's speechwriter now. Yep. These guys combined just like know their base too well. And I think that's what what's important to know about Steve Bannon is he does know who he's talking to and he knows yeah. how to address them with like the correct amount of posturing uh and all the good words to say without coming off as as what he truly is, which is yeah. a very despicably racist person. Yeah. And uh, sorry, sorry, go ahead. No, no, and that's the thing. And one thing that's also even scarier is that he's in tune with his base and he knows how to address them. He knows what language to speak to them in. But not only that, he knows how to, yeah, he knows how to handle the mainstream media. In fact, yeah. over the last year, he has, you know, it's almost like, you know, 2017, everybody was posturing and, you know, curious and wondering about this person who's, you know, behind the curtain supposedly controlling Trump. And you couldn't get an interview with him. You barely heard him speak, you know, heard his voice. And then out of nowhere, this year, he just kind of decides like, oh, you know, I want to talk now. And the moment he steps out and he starts engaging with the press, you just see everyone all of the all of the different like main uh tv shows and broadcasters like having him on he was on a bill maher show recently and you know not only does he have them in the palm of his hands in that sense in terms of they want to get a quote from him they want to be the one to have the interview with him but he knows how to deal with them like i'm not a, i'm not a fan of the dude but i can't deny the fact that he comes across as you know quite charming yes. articulate yeah. and you know able to work a crowd Unfortunately, he knows the downfall of mainstream Western media, which is that all of these, all of these uh, liberals are just looking for that gotcha. They're looking for that soundbite that they can use against, uh, you know, whoever it may be. Yeah. Uh, and Steve Bannon knows how to get around it and to and to dress it up to make it like if you took out any any soundbite 
on its own of that Steve Bannon interview. It wouldn't sound bad. If you played it back and it was just like, aha, we got him, everybody would be like, well, wait, you kind of don't. He kind of just danced around it, but in such like a graceful way, and you wouldn't expect this guy to be graceful at all. Like he doesn't look like a graceful person. He just looks like a, a clumsy kind of bumbling idiot. This <laughs> is like, you know, like intellectually, he's great about dancing around that, and that's yeah. kind of like what he's what he's honed in on. Uh, and now he's now he's out of the White House. He's running wild across the world. Yeah. Uh, just setting fire to every every <laughs> Western democracy. Yep, and you know, speaking of that, we talk about how he's out of the White House, and this is something that like Tim and I spoke about before, and it's one that I guess is played in many other people's head. Is like, was Bannon fired or did he quit? Because mm. I kind of felt like, from my perspective, when it was happening at the time, I know that it happened at around the time the Charleston um, incident happen it was a bit after it that. was this uh, um steve bannon had this like like a month or so it was the summer of 2017 yeah, yeah yeah no it was so he um he called this this reporter at uh, the washington post or something yeah and just just started spewing about stuff about just like in response to that uh, yeah. it was that but it was a, it was a whole lot of other things yeah know? like you know war, at war with the administrative state the like yeah mainstream media is the enemy anytime anybody course. calls me a racist it's an award or some shit like that oh like, yeah he, he was, was just, just going, going off the rails yeah you know and, and, and so it gives credence to the to the fact that he might have been fired by trump just to like cover his end you know to cover the publicity and the spectacle end um a lot. Yeah, and there was also the fact that, like, um, was it he was talking about, I think, career. There was a comment he made about career where he said, like, ultimately, there's not much we can do surrounding a conflict with them because if they were to, um, if we're, we're going to set up a bomb oh, in true, right? North Korea, it would affect South Korea and then that affects us. And I think there was yeah. also that in terms of undermining what Trump was trying to go about with at the time. No, right. Like he was he was actually this was probably one of the more logical things he said, which was that like you can't bomb North Korea because Seoul will be decimated by artillery yeah. within like forty minutes. Yes. Um that was, that was kind of the smart thing. But yeah, so the whole like Trump approach, at least on, on his basis end, was he was saying like, Oh, we're just gonna bomb the shit out of them and I'm going to personally fist Kim Jong-un <laughs> you know like <laughs> yeah so kinda... he may have been fired for like those num- those multiple reasons yeah yeah because the, the messages aren't lining up between the administration and, and Bannon it, you know it, good reasons on both sides maybe it was on purpose who knows it, it, yeah so um Anyways, he, he, but he, he, that, like there is some, so yeah, there's a possibility he could be fired, but yeah, part of me can't help but wonder, like, because I just saw as, did he quit? Because I kind of oh, it was a sort of thing where it was like you know, the alt right has become has now become like somewhat mainstream, and then with the Charleston um, march and the incident that happened thereafter it was the situation where you know you had all of these far right slash um, fascists uh, 
these proto-brown shirts. Yeah, like proponents out there marching and getting media attention. And then that incident happened and Trump essentially went up on stage and went, oh, you know, there were, um, there were bad people on both sides. He failed to openly disavow and condemn the like fascist proponents or the people who committed that act or arguably like help kind of you know act as a catalyst for it so i can imagine from bannon's end it's like i've just gotten the president to go up go up there and fail to disavow and condemn far right neo-nazis i just got the president to do that i just got him to say they were good people on both sides my job is done you know what i mean it's like you know, we are now at that point where it is happening. What 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 else does he have left yeah, to do? Yeah, yeah. Arguably, this is, like, this is like his goal is to just you know set that into motion. Yeah, it's just the uh, the beginning stages of authoritarian fascism. You know, yeah, once this comes out, and now there are proto brown shirts in the streets. You know, the the, the proud boys were just yeah. out on a rampage so you know like Bannon's job is done for sure arguably yeah so now he's yeah he's gone to Europe uh, Brazil he's doing all of this after I, I can see what you're saying so now like he's done with that so now he's going to uh, the UK uh, Poland Hungary these places where he can plant uh, some more seeds of discontent yeah, because it's that type of thing of like, there's what we want to believe. We want to believe that he got fired, he's finished, it was just a phase. Uh, we want to believe uh-huh. that, but the evidence is just suggesting the contrary in the sense of he is now out going out into Europe and it's not just talk, like the dude is affecting change there, whether we like it or not. And for him to be able to just up and do that in that manner shows that he, you know, he's not any old person. There's some competency there, and he's not to be taken lightly. So I just don't his, uh, believe he's the type of person where they're gonna fire him. He's gonna, yeah, as we say here yeah. in China, he's gonna fire them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, his his tail wasn't between his legs when he went off to Europe. Or wherever. Yeah, as the media like to make it out to be, we want to believe that because we want to believe, oh, you know, he's finished, he's going down because we don't want to comprehend and think about what happens if he were were Which to is, succeed. But hey, that's also um, helping him though because he doesn't have the mainstream media focus on. Very him. good point. He can go off to Brazil and shake hands with this freaking warmongering, anti-democracy, fascist. You know, and, it, yeah. it, and nobody would care. It's it's pretty scary that he can do this now under the radar because everybody just thinks that he's a loser. Meanwhile, you have the Bavarian state elections and the AFD, the alternative for Deutschland, like a, a party that he's supporting, a very far-right fringe group, winning 11% stake in that assembly. The first time it's been elected to a, uh, a, legislature, a legislature in Germany. Yeah, so like a legislature to like win a legislative seat. They want, did they win mm-hmm. a seat then? They've, yes. I mean, I'm gonna guess so, you know. Yeah, or like within that council or what, what, what have you. Yeah, so it is yeah. in the national legislature. 
Yep, and it's that type of thing of like, yeah, even on like on that point of the AFD in Bavaria, an interesting point to take home is you know Bavaria is like the stronghold of Germany and German culture. So oh, yeah. there's an air room. I can imagine the way that it's going to be marketed and played off in respect to that victory. It's also the founding place of the Nazi Party. So I'm not trying to like you know raise fears or like get people scared, but it's just something to something to bear in mind. And it's like you know he's now in Europe, and he's helping to act as almost like a you know first of all like a kind of coordinator. He's helping. He's you know through I think it's the movement. Uh That's what he calls it. It's coordinating all of these far-right movements across Europe to like work with each other and to be more effective with regards to like how they execute their political campaigns in terms of I heard the movement provides polling services along with like you know media exposure and other things and then you know that in itself just kind of acts as like a stimulus to these parties and helping them get their exposure and you know it's not it's not talk anymore there are like national leaders like the um, the president of Italy Uh, I think the president of Italy and maybe the president of Hungary are like openly collaborating and working with his um, like movement Mm -hmm. it's something that the it falls short of the left, you know, we're like, we're fighting our local battles or national battles. But meanwhile, this guy is taking it to the global scale. Yeah. Which is, oh man, that's just a new level of, uh, to affect that much change worldwide for this cause is just, it's astounding, really. It's worrying, man. It's scary. Like, I think we spoke about it before and I remember when it happened, I sent you a picture of it and I was like, this shit is serious and it was when maybe it was like half a year ago and I saw him attending a talk or giving a speech with uh, Marine Le Pen you know the leader of the Front National or the National Front Party in France and you know it's it's, maybe it's going to be difficult for like Americans or you know people who aren't from Europe to understand but like for us within Europe especially people of colour but I think just generally the National Front is undoubtedly a far-right racist party. You know, it may have, like, toned down and watered down its stance since the, the daughter has, like, gotten in charge. But prior to that, like, the, the father who founded the party, he had no qualms about, like, his policies and his views and the things he said. They were a lot more racist and a lot more kind of unfiltered. And when you see him on stage like whenever I see you know National Front the BNP that's our equivalent to it in the UK when it's almost like when African Americans or certain people see the Confederate flag it kind of evokes wow to some degree a similar response when Uh we think when we think of the BNP and the National Front it's like that is like like whoa you know we want to steer well clear of that and now you know she to some extent there was a there was you know she she was close to winning the election like you know last year and now with Bannon collaborating with her and him openly doing that who's to know who's to say 
what could come of that and if she ever were to become the leader of France France yeah for us in Europe like that's 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 no joke that's a fucking scary situation because this is France this is like the second arguably the second most powerful country in Europe it's a powerful country all around and that would change a lot of things and that is it is it's partially scary and we see that he is really not wasting time and not posturing about what he wants to do in Europe in terms of like defend western civilization you know stop it from being I don't know overrun by liberalism or whatever the enemy of the day is like it's it seems to be happening in a way mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier how uh, the the far right is changing its message or at least how the uh, the party national is doing it in France how they mm-hmm. kind of step down and change their tone I think that this is one of the big things that Bannon's doing is because he's creating this packaged message for these leaders to recite, basically, uh, that's very abstract and not, like, bluntly, blatantly racist or, you know, what have you. It's it's more just, like, speaking in terms of economics or whatever. Yeah, economic nationalism, that's what he calls it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a lot of it is kind of, yeah... Um, what's the word? Yeah, it, yeah, it's kind of spoken about under this euthanism of nationalism in the sense mm-hmm. of, uh, mm-hmm. and in a way, to some degree, there is some solid theory and like fact to that in terms of like they're talking about nationalism in the sense of like, you know, in Europe, there has of course been the issue of the EU and. A lot of that is down to fears of immigration, but it's also partly down to national sovereignty Absolutely. in the sense of like, if you look more into the EU and the way in which EU laws and regulations, you know, you have to, as an EU member, comply to those, um, yeah, how the process, yeah, the process in which those laws are made. And it's not only of the laws and the regulations, there's even things relating to like, uh, government spending like your budget mm-hmm. like as an e as a member of the euro you're not allowed to uh you're not allowed to want to run too large of a budget deficit you know mm. like real talk makes sense yeah but for uh that's quite you know that's like going into domestic policy and what you know affecting what mm-hmm. you how you can actually deliver on your manifesto and you know you've seen the cases such as Greece in particular where it's shown the kind of like I don't know the way that the EU as an institution can arguably make or break or really prevent different countries from being sovereign Uh, so there is that and that again plays into the whole idea of nationalism then of course there's the issue of like immigration as you know highlighted recently with the massive immigration immigrant rate wave that happened across europe in like late 2016 and throughout late 2015 and throughout 2016 yeah and he's uh he's He's capitalizing on those misgivings to all the points really yep the people can well so the the base 
can identify with, but then politicians can weaponize and yes, use in their definitely. campaigns. Uh, so, like, if there's a politician running in France and uh, a base in Lithuania supports that platform, then they're bolstered because there's a there's a common message being shared. Yeah. So they're mobilized even further and, and, and acting on it. It creates like this this even wider network of people who are just like, yes, this French politician is saying this thing about this exact same scenario that's happening in this other country. You know, like we're we're emboldened now. Uh, this is like a, a, a entire European call to action. Yep. Which is dangerous. You know, we're talking about. We're talking about entire countries that are falling prey to the same type of rhetoric simply because yeah. there's like a common umbrella for them all to stand under. Yep, exactly. You know, a lot of different countries, whether it's, you know, uh, Hungary, Austria, Poland, Italy, just France to some degree, and, you know, many others. Uh, Sweden, something is going on here. And yeah, I guess it brings us on to our next point. So you just mentioned how these different issues can be weaponized in a way to kind of bring a call to action for the whole of Europe. Mm. It can bring about some unity and help uh, materialize on that coordination that the movement is hoping to kind of uh, enact. And yeah, it brings us on to our next point in terms of with Europe and I think for Bannon in particular, there's this existential crisis surrounding, you know, what Europe is going to be moving into the future, European identity, and of course the threat of, or the so-called threat of Islam. And I right. think, you know, there's a lot of uh, conservatives and neocons who openly profess that, like, the biggest threat to, re to Western civilization is Islamic Islam. fundamentalism. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I think... Yeah, he, in time, is, yeah, now he's utilizing that especially to play on that mostly subconscious fear of, you know, a so-called Muslim takeover yeah, of, of Europe, <laughs> you know, um, this idea of, you know, diversity, the great replacement, and, you know, what is Europe going to be moving into the future, and, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's definitely a yeah a testing area because there is a history to it, mm -hmm. and there's arguably a future to it. And I guess that's where we'll start with um, the question of Turkey. Yeah, so Turkey, um, it nobody really knows if it's Western or in the Middle East. Yeah, really, it, geographically, it's both kind of just Istanbul is kind of cut in half yep yeah there's the western side and the eastern side mm -hmm. yep mm -hmm. one on the European continent and then the rest in Asia Minor uh, a lot of at least Turkish people see themselves as very western yep. very apart from the from the Arab world yeah uh, kind of just like ostracized them they're proud of their Turkish language as as opposed to being Arabic, you know, make 
they make the big distinction. Uh, a lot of the uh, at least more uh, moderate Muslims see themselves as very progressive from the other uh, from the other uh, compadres of the Arab <laughs> world. So, <laughs> you know, Turkey's kind of in the balance. And if you ask somebody like uh, uh, th these people that Steve Bannon's gunning for, like, is Turkey in the West? Their gut reaction is no, because they're, I mean, the the question at the end of the, uh, the, uh, the argument that they say is the culture, you know, the culture is yes, different. Yeah. Even though it's very similar, you know, it, like, there's no requirement for head coverings and all of this. There's no, like, common clothing like that. A lot of my Turkish friends just, they just dress normal clothes and what would we perceive, uh, what we would perceive as very Western, Western clothing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of that, what they're actually saying is that they're Muslim. So they're, yeah. you know, they're, they're Muslim and they're not white enough. Exactly. Not white enough. Yeah. They speak a weird language. It's not, it's not like, uh, I don't know, some random Balkan language. It's not, it's not Croat. It's yeah. not, uh, kind of close, but not too weird. That type of language. It's, it's alienated. It's the other. Yeah. So that's kind of where they draw the line of the West. Exactly. And it's this um, strange situation where, you know, you've got the question of Turkey and whether it's in Europe or not. And, you know, this goes beyond just a kind of intellectual debate or like, oh, you know, a geographical quest question. Mm. In the coming decades, it's going to be a matter of policy and and like tough decisions because, you know, some of some of you listening may not know, but Turkey as a nation has been lobbying to become a member of the EU or, you know, the European community or, you know, whatever um, capacity it was in at the time for the last 50 years. They've been at this. They've been putting in the work. They want to be a member of the EU naturally because of all of the different economic benefits that would come with it. And uh, this in itself has been this fear this underlying fear of a Muslim takeover to many may be confirmed in a future which has Turkey become an EU member. And it is something that is being considered. Like even during the um, Brexit referendum, um, the fact that, yeah, even now, yeah, Turkey and the EU are openly in talks about and trying to come to a solution surrounding it. And that topic of Turkey becoming a future EU member like by 2040 or 2050 was utilised by the pro-Brexit camp as a means to yeah get in out of um, the EU because there is this fear, this idea of you know Turkey is this corridor, corridor from the Middle East into Europe or vice versa and yes there could be a future where if Turkey is, the mem is a member of the EU, yeah, it could very quickly act as a corridor for Islam or, you know, Central Asia <laughs> and the Middle East in the sense that, like, people from Syria and all these other places Oh my gosh, can it's, it's touching Syria. 
Yes, like this, yeah. Terror in, in Iraq. You know what I mean? So, you know, they can like... Scary places. You know, they can walk along, they can migrate to Turkey, and then within like a few years or a decade or whatever, gain citizenship. And then once they're a Turkish citizen, citizen they're an EU citizen. Mm-hmm. And then they can migrate to all the other parts of Europe. It's the certification that these Syrians could become... European. Yep, yep, and that was a similar threat that was going on with Germany and like Sweden and these other places. And not only that, but there's also the fact that like Turkey is, you know, Turkey is a large country. It's no pushover. You know, mm. Economically, it's quite strong. It has quite a large population, not too far behind that of Germany. So there's also the fact that if Turkey were to become an EU member, it wouldn't just be any old member. It wouldn't be this situation where they're like, oh, we're just happy to be here. We're so <laughs> thankful to be sitting on the table among all of our white brethren here. Yeah. It's not going to be that situation. By default of their population size, they're going to have considerable influence in like the voting process, the number of representatives they have on their side, and that in turn is going to affect EU policy, and then that affects Europe. Mm-hmm. So... There is the question of Turkey and how that's like, you know, somewhat of a seen as a feasible underlying fear for like Europe and a lot of the far right. And then there's the fact that this pot- potential concern in the future, this is uh, not this potential concern in the future of, you know, having Turkey as an EU member is also built on by Europe's past and that's where we get to the Moors the Moorish invasion right yeah right like I mean to the ideologies of all of these alt writers you know the West grew independently it was birthed from God and touched by <laughs> nobody else there was no mixing of cultures or anything it was just like this pure virgin culture that was beautiful and sprouted democracy on its own like it just democracy and and amazing things like the printing press and the internet like this is all because of the west so thank you the (laughs) west not not to mention that the entire iberian peninsula and even further than that was just uh taken over completely by the moors Yep, for over half a millennium. Mm-hmm. A long time. long time for that to be happening. Uh, and it's weird because, you know, when we, when we talk about the Moors, it's, um, you know, it's, it's very alien to a lot of these people to think that this Muslim caliphate could take over Europe and actually benefit yeah, arguably. Spain and uh, be be a big influencer to yep. the Spanish culture, the Iberian culture. Yeah, helping secularism to Spain. There's certain like crops and like types of trees and relating to horticulture that they helped introduce to the like country. You know, architecture and art. Yes, like so many different kind of innovations and changes that they helped bring forth, which, you know, surprisingly shortly after they were, you know, um, exiled from Spain 
Spain you, went into the Dark Ages, like. Well, no, but no, no, no. I mean, Spain went into well, what was a golden age. You know, this is where you get like. Um, Sorry, yeah, I got my dates wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is where you get, you know, um, like Columbus and like, you know. That was the, the same year. It was the same year that they kicked out the Moors that wow. Christopher Columbus set sail. Exactly, Christopher kind of Columbus a, set sail, and then you had, you know, for essentially like. I guess you could say up until maybe like the late 19th century and maybe prior to the scramble for Africa where you essentially had Spain kind of be the world hegemon. Yeah, I mean, they own everything south and even parts of what is now the United States. Yep, yeah. Pretty big chunk. Yeah, and it just just coincidentally happened after this um, period (laughs) <laughs> of like over half a millennia where they were ruled by those kind of like black skinned Moorish bunches <laughs> but yeah no connection whatsoever no connection no 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 no, no, no. but if, if you if you ask about this certain type of history to alt writers like that's just a blind spot yeah it's just like boom they were just blind great spot. Just, absolutely they again they just like fell out of the sky great like I was bound this way man <laughs> <laughs> Which is weird to think that, like, Europe in itself was this, it, it developed out of a vacuum. Which yeah. really, you know, the interactions between, for example, Persia and Greece bringing about democracy. Like, that's just, you know, if you ask some alt writer where democracy is from, they wouldn't mention uh, uh, Persia yeah. and Cyrus the Great. It wouldn't be any of those things. And then, like, Alexander the Great growing up under the reign of a Persian ruler just being like, hey guys, the Persians have this cool thing called democracy, so we should do it here. And And it uh, even goes back to those other things like, you know, the phonetic alphabet, numbers, algebra, (laughs) like, you know, Judeo- Christianity hello Middle East uh, hello (laughs) Islam to some extent (laughs) it is like all all of the mythology of the religions in the Mediterranean Sea undoubtedly although there there was a lot of mixing but it can be traced back to the Fertile Crescent it can be traced back to like Mesopotamia, Babylonia agriculture can be traced back to you know the beginnings of that civilization no, no, because the all riders they just see it as a vacuum, you know, just like white people were born out of a cloud yep. and just created all of these things. Yes. Because we're perfect and no help from any other culture, any other, yeah. sorry, I'm using their language, uh, <laughs> <laughs> any other race, <laughs> any other uh, ethnicity or uh, continent altogether. It was just all of them so you know they they got this weird historical background to it and yeah it kind of plays into the bigger narrative of uh the other the othering yes. that goes on the the outsider which in this case is the uh, the the culture the uh antagonistic culture that's fighting against western culture yeah and yeah this is what bannon and what a lot of a lot of the far right in Europe and, you know, a certain subsect of the European mainstream think that they're fighting against in terms of this uh, Muslim takeover, 
Um, and then, and then, yeah, there is that underlying fear and the fact that it has happened before, you know. And oh. you know, you could tell there's an issue, and we feel a type of way by it because it's something that's not spoken about. Like, fuck me, you do not hear. <laughs> you, if you're even for those those growing up in Europe, when I was in the UK, we were taught nothing about the Moorish invasion and control of. Spain, Portugal, what is today Spain, Portugal, and certain parts of southern France. No, even though, even though, and you were the one who told me this, and it just fucking blew my mind in half, but uh, Queen Elizabeth yeah. is somehow related yep. to the Prophet Muhammad. Yeah, there's a real, the Moors. The real possibility the, surrounding that, yeah. There's a, yeah, just a fucking nuts to think about. And it's yeah. just like, nobody, nobody talks about it. It's just like, no, no, she's the just the angelic the the wonderful queen elizabeth you know yeah. so pure and everything and it's like she got moorish blood yeah. <laughs> how did that happen and you know it's just that type of thing of you know it's not spoken about because i feel like it's you know some sense of shame or insecurity and then now yes. i i feel like these insecurities are being exposed and mm. someone such as bannon is uh, capitalizing on that he is. He, he he's doing a lot of the fear politics. Yeah. He's because there is a fear economy to this. Yeah. You make you make obviously money off of it, but you also make political power out of this. Yeah. And he's doing so. He's also doing it in uh, in Brazil in kind of a different way with cultural Marxism. Wow. And fuck me again. You see this situation where it's these different places. So the USA and Brazil are quite similar in that sense in terms of there's a fear of, yeah, like a fear of a black or non-white takeover in the sense of like the demographics are going in one direction. Yeah. A change yeah. is in motion. Brazil is not a majority white country. It's no, a majority it's non-white country. And that mm-hmm. was a, um, a milestone that was only passed very recently. And... Huh. Yeah, increasingly moving towards the future that is, you know, is going to increasingly become non-white and again you're going to get another situation where it's like, oh, it's the fall of like Western civilization those Brazil. people there aren't going to be in control in, anymore. You see a similar thing happening in America where the USA is not too far behind Brazil and Europe, huh. Europe is still pretty white but changes are also beginning to take place there, particularly in countries such as France, Germany, the UK, um, Scandinavian countries to some degree. Like, we are experiencing those, like, big demographic changes of our own where they're getting... More visibly, too, you know, in in these big cities where it's more of a... where it's more obvious that these changes are taking place. London, majority... Majority of the population in London are not white. Yeah. Yeah. That's just... You know that's that's wild to think about, and it's yeah, it's um, yeah. You can kind of see where people get the idea that they're being replaced, yeah. You know, because like they'll just harken back to the good old days where they would just see like one black a month, yeah. You know, like or or you know there was just a section of the town that was yeah. segregated off, that was corn- cornered off, and uh, that's where they all live. Yeah. But now like it's overrun. They've they've broke down the barriers and now 
oh my god hide your kids hide your wife because these minorities <laughs> are coming up and yeah 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 kind of like what we were talking about before where it's like yeah the changes are coming and mm-hmm. sooner or later it's going to be in your backyard and it's like how are you going to deal with that and it's a uh, very interesting in the sense of like yeah i guess it leads us to you know somewhat of a conclusion in the way of like you have certain um certain portions of Europe and ide- ideological um, sp- certain people on a, across the ideological spectrum far right in particular who are trying to push back against these changes and for that I pose this question to you like I don't know you can't have your cake and eat it like I would say you want to talk about you want to point your finger at ethnically homogenous nations such as Japan and those close to home such as Hungary and Austria and Russia to some degree um, but you have to kind of look you ha- upon closer inspection those nations in and of themselves are in decline their populations are declining their economic growth is faltering and that is in part because of their aging population the fact that they're not being open to change and immigration and getting in young people to come in and work who are able to work and actually pay taxes for the aging population right now Europe is in a space where they're getting too many old people who aren't willing to continue working they want to retire and we need the young people to do the work and it's just that thing of okay if you you know you can keep Europe white and defend your civilization but then when it all comes down to it what are we going to have left to defend like we can go in the direction of Poland and Hungary and Russia but what are they you know no offense to them but they're in decline and they're not particularly relevant and they don't really they're not thriving they're like so I would definitely like you know hold on to that thought Right, and uh, you know, that brings us to the end of another Two Tims Talking Trash. This time we tackled Steve Bannon. Sloppy Steve. We owned him. <laughs> Steve, Steve Bannon. Bannon. Fear Steve of Bannon. Islam. <laughs> yeah. Consider yourself owned, Sloppy Steve. Yep, and you know, just say, you know, before we like end off on this, just, you know, yeah, think of what do you want Europe to be in the future and what do you want out of that those are the two key clear questions to Mm. ask because the answers to them may be different for each of those ones that's all I'm going to say right. well so if you have any any comments or something of course leave them you can you can share subscribe follow us on whatever platform you're using we'll be in touch thanks for listening bang bang (laughs) 